Pray with me, please. We have come to adore you, Lord. And not just because it's Christmas time. We come to adore you because of who you are. We come to adore you because you are not the baby in the manger. You are the King of Kings. You're the Lord of Lords. You're the exalted one. You're the one at the Father's right hand, ruling and reigning now and forevermore. And so, Lord, today I pray as we as we think about you, Lord Jesus, as we understand you to be the light of the world, help us, Lord. Teach us by your Spirit to see you aright and thereby live aright. So open our minds, open our hearts, help us to take your word in and then to live it out for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And so here we are, Christmas 2022. Another year in the books, almost. Another time to focus on the birth of Christ. But who is he? Let me give you a list of some of the ways Scripture describes him in the stories surrounding what we call Christmas. He's Emmanuel. He's king of the Jews. He's the Christ, the child. Several times is mentioned just the child. He's a savior. Christ the Lord, the Lord's Christ, the Lord's salvation, a light to the Gentiles, a glory to Israel. Now those are some majestic names. indeed. And as great as the Bible describes him in the events surrounding the birth of Christ, Christmas as a holy day, as we understand things, was not even recognized by the church, universal, until several hundred years after his birth. Did you know that? The early church recognized Christ, but they put the spotlight not on the manger and the magi, not on the murder of the baby boys at the hand of Herod. They had a more broad view of things, for they celebrated Epiphany. And there's a bit of difference between Epiphany and what we would call Christmas. Epiphany means a manifestation. And then and now among some branches of Christianity, it focuses on Jesus' baptism and his first miracle. In other words, it goes beyond the mere birth of Jesus in the manger, and it looks to his life and his ministry as well. See, with Epiphany, Jesus was not left in the manger because he came to save us. But over the years, though, for the vast majority of Christians and even the Western culture, this time of year has become much more, if you will, specialized. And the majesty of the person of Jesus somewhat minimized and even trivialized. In some of the modern Christmas songs we sing about, we see and we sing about Jesus being a little bitty baby. He is described as a child who will bring us goodness and light. That's kind of nice sentiment, but really what does it mean? In another song, the infant albeit called king, smiled at the little drummer boy when he was doing his thing. And still another song we sing of the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. Aw. Let's look at the culture in general. Decorations that get put up in some places right even after Halloween. And how many people buy and prepare to give presents weeks and sometimes even months in advance. <laughs> Hands raised here. And what about the carols that are played nonstop between September 1st and December 25th? Well, maybe September 1st is a little bit early, but not much, right? 
And let's not forget the full slate of holiday programs that we pull out of our DVD collections or put in our queue to watch, like It's a Wonderful Life or A Christmas Carol, A Charlie Brown Christmas, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That's a popular one, very godly. Or How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And the godliest of all holiday presentations, The Nightmare Before Christmas. And what Christmas movie binge is complete without watching A Christmas Story, right? Where we again wait with bated breath to see if Ralphie can really avoid shooting his eye out. And so we put all these things together, though, in our culture. And we paint a picture of Jesus in our day. Unfortunately, we come up with a view of Jesus that is skewed. And he becomes, shall we say, manageable. See, we see the baby in the manger, don't we, in our mind's eye. And we see the pageants, you know, little kids in their bathrobes and stuff. And though he's God's miracle love gift, there is no escaping his smallness. And as long as he's small, in our hearts or even in a physical reminder of baby Jesus, we don't have to do anything with him but admire him. See, we can imagine ourselves, especially the ladies, holding the babe until he needs changing. And then we give him back to Mary. And since Jesus cannot speak as an infant, we don't have to listen to him. And since baby Jesus cannot perform miracles from the cradle, we don't have to marvel and wonder and ponder as to who he is and are forced to decide what to do with him. At the end of the season, we put the decorations away, complete with a nativity set, unless we have to replace baby Jesus who got stolen. Now, making that up, I've seen this, heard this. And next year, we start all over with a manageable Jesus. But what if we reduced the traditional decorations a bit? What if we minimized the traditional holiday stuff with its trappings, or should I say its entrappings? Or like a sculptor, we chisel away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. What would that look like then? Well, this year we're going to make an attempt at doing just that. As you can see, we've got some bare walls here. Take it down just about everything. But we've not eliminated everything. As you can see, we still have a crooked cross on display. See, it's not straight, and it rarely has ever been straight with us. See, the cross is not supposed to look nice. It is, by its nature, ugly. It's an instrument of death. It's the place upon which Jesus died and waged ultimate war and profoundly defeated the enemy. And so I thought I'd just share that with you in case you were wondering why we have a crooked cross. It greatly increased the number of lights, candles here on display. And as you can tell, the lights are battery operated. <laughs> See, this is a Civil War era building. If we had all these candles that were really flames, we'd kind of run the risk of burning this building down. We don't want to do that. But there's a reason why we increase the number of lights. And over the next four weeks, we're going to spend our time in God's word looking at four metaphors, four symbols that will rivet our attention on who Jesus actually is. Today, we're going to see Jesus as light, as in the light of the world. Next week, we're going to explore Jesus as the Lamb of God. And we're going to add a few symbols that reflect that. In week three, Greg's going to boldly proclaim Christ as a lion and add a few more symbols. 
And on Christmas Day, we're going to marvel at Christ as Lord. And to give a little sneak peek, Kitty and I have a special presentation that we're going to do on Christmas morning to help us more fully understand what it means to interact with royalty. So you don't want to miss that. I think it's going to be pretty cool. Now, I just mentioned metaphor. And we know what that is, don't we? At least I'm hoping we do. If we can remember back in our high school days or some would just kind of graduate it. It's a figure of speech that compares two different things by saying one thing is another. The comparisons are not meant to be taken literally. They give a greater meaning beyond the literal meanings. Sort of like a, a whole is greater than the sum of its parts type thing. Now the Bible is full of metaphors. Would you agree? You know, like, for example, when Scripture says that God is a consuming fire, that's metaphor. And when all flesh is grass, that's metaphor. You know, Jesus described himself with metaphors many times. And let me just give you one, John 10, 11. He says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, obviously, Jesus is not a literal shepherd. We are not literal sheep. But as a good shepherd, Jesus goes to infinite lengths to protect us. That's the imagery here. He laid down his life for us. He shed his blood and vanquished the most powerful enemy we could ever face. That's the idea here with Jesus being the good shepherd. And so today we're going to talk about light in three ways. First, we want to see what scripture has to say about light, both literally and metaphorically. And second, we're going to see how light relates to Jesus and what he meant when he used light to describe himself. Again, good Bible study says this. We don't want to find out what it means. We want to find out what it meant, as in those who first heard it, what they understood it to be. And then finally, we want to ask, so what? What difference does it make to us that Jesus called himself light and what it means for us personally to apply it? Now, the scripture has much to say about light, whether physically or metaphorically. And that is, light is addressed in the scripture over two or right around 200 times. It's pretty amazing the number of times here, especially because this book is primarily about the Lord. So let's trace through scripture regarding light and just very, very quickly, just to hit a couple highlights, we won't even be able to scratch the surface. But the first thing that we understand about light is found right there in the first chapter of Scripture. The first thing that God spoke into existence in Genesis 1-3. God said what? Let there be light. And there was light. Now later in the creation story, God created the sun and the moon and the stars as rulers over the day and over the night. As one commentator pointed out though, light and the heavenly bodies involving light point out the fact that these things are creatures to reflect the glory of God and not objects and not gods to be worshipped. Indeed, in Psalm 148, 3 through 5, the psalmist says this, Praise Him, sun and moon, and praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded, and they were created. They were created by His Word, just like we were created by His Word. And when it comes to physical light, where would living things be without it? We wouldn't be here. Think photosynthesis. This is science 101, right? And for the most part, sunlight is required 
And of course, part of the byproduct of the plants when they do the thing is oxygen. If they didn't do their thing, we couldn't do our thing. Again, that's science 101. Now, we humans also need light too, especially sunlight. Think sad, seasonal affect disorder. You know, lack of vitamin D as well. It's directly related to many physical issues. Now, we know this to be true, especially the suppression of our immune system. See, a number of doctors advocated that during the height of the COVID thing, that you go outside and you get vitamin D and it helps to mitigate the, the disease. But there's much more we can talk about regarding light, physical light, but let me mention just one more. Revelation 22.5 tells us about light and the eternal state. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, again, physical light, for the Lord will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. This is a clear indication that that physical light, not darkness, will flow from the Lord forever. Not about you, but it gives me great comfort to know that. See, I would much rather have physical light on a continual basis than darkness on a continual basis, wouldn't you? Now, not that I'm afraid of the dark overall, but you know, sometimes late at night and I hear a sudden noise, (laughs) I kind of wonder what lurks back there. And so when it's all said and done, though, there will be no more fear. And the Lord tells us that in there is rest. Eternity is going to be a blast. And the fact that physical light exists helps us to understand the absolute separation between darkness and light. Simply put, where light is, darkness isn't. Imagine being in the belly of a cave. You ever been there? Ever had that experience? Going down there and tour guide, all that kind of stuff. You get down there and your eyes get adjusted, even though you can't see anything, can't see your hand in front of your face. And then all of a sudden, your tour guide whips out a very tiny light. What's that like? Even the smallest beam is bright there. Truly, light shining in the darkness overcomes the darkness. And so when it comes to light as metaphor, there is some rich stuff here in God's Word. The first idea about light in the metaphorical sense is that the truth is that there is no gray when it comes to light and in relationship with God. And we're studying 1 John in our Bible fellowship, and we talked about this in, in depth. 1 John 1 5 tells us that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And so anything that is not from God is darkness, metaphorically speaking, and morally speaking. It's full stop. It's that classic good versus evil thing. As one learned person describes things, light represents goodness and holiness as opposed to evil. In other words, goodness and holiness is the absolute opposite of evil. And when it comes to the Lord and his ways versus all the ways that are not God, as one godly pastor, uh, Eric Alexander, in his very Scottish accent said, whenever a work of God is established, it will be opposed. Spiritual fact of life. Second idea is light as a symbol is the Lord's favor 
and the joy his favor brings. That's what light is. If you remember reading the book of Esther, I'm not sure when the last time you read it, but Esther 8.16 says this, when the Jews were rescued from the evil clutches of Haman, remember Haman was hung on his own gallows. Here's how the writer described things. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And over in the New Testament, the same kind of idea goes with us in the church. The Lord, our walk with the Lord. Ephesians 5, 8 and 9 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And notice Paul says, though, though we were darkness, now we are to walk. We're to live our lives as children of light. We're to bear fruit that is good and right and true. Now, light is also a symbol of truth. Now, this stands to reason, isn't it? Since God is light and without darkness, and so anything from the Lord is light as well, and that includes truth. See, when deceitful and wicked people vigorously opposed the psalmist, he called out for the Lord to the Lord for deliverance. And he prayed this, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. The psalmist was hungry for the truth of God described as light. Now think of our lives today. Is there any place in the culture where we can find truth? Can we say that truth and culture are oxymoron? God defines truth in his way. The world tries to find truth in my truth, your truth, that kind of thing. But God says there is one truth. You know, the more time I spend in God's word, meditating on it and taking it in, the more I savor and desire what the psalmist said in Psalm 130. He says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty simple. I'm pretty naive. I'm pretty susceptible to the ways of the world. And the more I understand my own self, my own inadequacies, and the more I see what's going on out there, the more I realize that I need salvation from the lies, from the wicked one. I need him to help me. I need his word to protect me. What about you? As I mentioned a couple of times, God is light. Again, that's metaphor, right? And we've already seen how the Apostle John describes him. God is light, no darkness at all. And James says that God is the father of lights. You know, and a truly majestic description I came across uh, recently is a guy by the name of Leland Riken. Check this. This is wonderful. I love this. He says, God who is light inhabits a heaven bathed in light. Now, Paul adds his own insight to, to God being light as well. He is the blessed and only sovereign. He's king of kings. He's Lord of lords who alone has immortality who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. See, if God, who is light, dwells in unapproachable light, how infinitely bright is he? How impossible is it for mortal man to look upon him in all of his splendor? See, when God told Moses, no man can see me and live, that wasn't a warning. That was a reality. And so John said, 
No man has seen God as in the Father at any time. So now let's behold the Lord Jesus. Inspired scripture tells us that Messiah was to be a light to the nations. Numbers 24, 17 says, A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Centuries later, the prophet Isaiah would say this about Messiah in 42, 6 in his book. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. And again, in Isaiah 49, 6, we read these precious words. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And further in Isaiah 60, verse 3, and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. They were expecting a Messiah who was a Messiah of light. Enter the righteous, devout, godly Simeon. He was waiting for Isaiah's word of comfort or consolation to come to Israel as Israel said, comfort ye my people in Isaiah 40. How he waited on the Lord, how he longed for God to reveal his promise. And one day the Lord revealed to him that he was going to live long enough to see Messiah. Wouldn't that be wonderful? The first time the Lord would ever show that to you, I'm sure Simeon was just about ready to jump out of his skin. And so one day, the Lord revealed to him, today is day. Go see Messiah, the one in whom is light and life. And so we have in Luke chapter 2, verses 28 to 32, he sees him. Mary and Joseph were with Jesus. And so he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you are prepared in the presence of all peoples. And then he says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people as well. He saw the Messiah. Simeon with his own eyes saw in this six-week-old infant the light of the world. He saw the glory of, of Israel. He saw a light for revelation to the Gentiles. What an amazing privilege that was. And as Jesus grew, it wasn't lost on him. He knew he was the fulfillment of the predictions that the light has come. And that light was him. In the days of his ministry, he told the Jews on numerous occasions that he was the light given to the world that the prophets spoke of. John 8, 12, for example, he says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 9, 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And John, and then John 12, 35 and 36. The light is along, among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, me, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Not, not only is Jesus the undeniable fulfillment of the prophecies of light, he is the source of life itself. See, in him, as one author describes it, we find a life-giving substance that illuminates and dispels metaphorical darkness. That's Jesus. John 1, 4-5 says, All things were made through him, that's Christ, 
and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In other words, Jesus is the source of real life. See, this Greek word here that's translated life is not mere biological existence. Now, we know that the second person of the Trinity, Christ, before he was born, was the agent through which everything came to be. But that's not the word here. See, the word here carries with the idea of being really alive, vitality and happiness, wholeness, and all those great things that go along with that when you're really feeling alive. You know what I'm talking about? It's like when we recover from, from I'm a long illness. Imagine being in the springtime. It's warm. You get out of your bed and you feel like you're 20 years old. Isn't that wonderful? Only even better. See, the only true way to live life is to have a saving relationship with Jesus. That's real life. Not just mere existence. And so, with that said, how did Jesus see himself as the light of the world? And he said the word light. How did his hearers understand him? If you will, turn to with me to, to John 3, 19 to 21. And we'll see this, how Jesus understood himself to be light. Now, what kind of metaphor was he thinking here in John 3, 19 to 21? As we know, he was talking with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was saying, we know that you're a teacher come from God. And then Jesus began to tell him some things that Nicodemus probably didn't want to hear. And this is the judgment. Again, remember, this is right after John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Now Jesus says this. This is the judgment that light, me, he says, has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. In other words, Jesus saw himself as morality embodied. He made it clear there is no moral grayness with him, no shades. In Jesus' worldview is either 100% light, 100% dark. A person who refuses to, to come to him lives in and loves moral darkness. And what is this darkness? It's a reflection of our heart. See, Matthew 15, 19 says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. These are the things that defile a person. And Jesus wants to save us from our heart. And that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is found in John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, Jesus invites people to experience life the way God intended it to be lived. And I find it instructive for, for Jesus to say these words, whoever follows me. It's the same thing that Jesus said to everybody, right? He said, following Jesus is a process of following him as a disciple, a learner, not someone who has it all together. And as an aside, in any kind of any kind of endeavor that requires an apprentice 
and a mentor relationship, what is the one thing that is absolutely guaranteed in every apprentice? Failure. As an apprentice, I'm going to fail time, time, time again. The master is going to help me, but I'm going to fail. So when we sign up to be Jesus' disciples, we are signing up knowing that we're going to fail again and again and again. Now, certainly, Jesus demands high standards, but he's such a great teacher, isn't he? Such patient, kind teacher. Here's what he says in Luke 9, 23 and 24. If anyone would come after me to be my disciple, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever would lose his life for my sake will save it. The bottom line is Jesus offers life as a gift. Can't you hear him say, I'm light. You will see what it means to really live if you follow me. Learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly of heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. I can imagine him saying as well, here's my offer. I won't force you to follow me. But if you don't follow me, you will continue to merely exist, and you'll be blinded by your own sin. You will show yourself and me when it's all said and done that you love darkness and you hate it the light, and the choice is yours. Either you die to yourself and find real life or you die in your sin. That's the choice he gives every person. That's what he was saying in the days of his ministry. I've often said that if I were living back in the days of Jesus and I just wanted to hang around with somebody, it wouldn't be him. See, he's all about complete loyalty. No seeing life as shades of gray. None of the God is love and that's it thing. Or on the other hand, none of the God is only angry and wrathful sort of thing. You know, one of the things I appreciate so much about the Lord Jesus is that he tells it like it is. See, Jesus cannot be anything other than who he is. True? He cannot and will not declare himself to be part dark and part light so that he can appeal to the masses. Again, the Lord Jesus, he was and is light. And the light was and is the light of men. If we want to know how to really live life, we need to behold Jesus, the light of the world. So finally, let's ask the question, so what? If I didn't make Jesus' words clear a moment ago, to those who could not care less about following him. Let me say it again. Beginning with one of the most, some of the most well-known words, most familiar words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out. 
And for all those under the sound of my voice, if you're not a follower of Jesus, let me implore you by the words of Jesus, the light of the world, come to Jesus that you be revealed on the day of judgment that you love darkness rather than light. And may Christmas 2022 be the best Christmas you'll ever experience because you will have repented of your sin and embraced the light found in Christ, the very light of life. But now for those of us who do know Christ, who have committed our lives to him, who are loyally following him, we have the unspeakable privilege of living life the way he intended it. As followers of Christ, we see clearly what real life is, don't we? We live the real life because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us by the power of his spirit. See, we no longer walk or live our lives in moral darkness. Indeed, the Lord has given us a new identity. And isn't that refreshing in the world that basically tells us we don't know our identity? We don't even know what a woman is, now they say. And why is that? It's because the world keeps trying to figure it out on their own. They're walking in moral darkness. And I love what Paul says to the church in Thessalonica as he writes his first letter to them. He says in verse chapter 5, five You are all children of the light. You are children of the day. That is who we are. We're not of the night or of the darkness. There's a difference between us and them. There really, really is. And I know that is politically incorrect. I know that it's not well received by so many people. But God's word says this. It's truth. Let's live out our identity. Let me show us another aspect of our identity. And that's found in Ephesians 5, 1 to 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for, for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God. No pressure there. How do we do this? Did you see it though? It's an amazing thing this is. We are the Father's beloved sons and daughters. As those in the family, we are to imitate, we are to literally mimic the Father. That's what he's called us to do. That's the privilege that we have. If we were living back in the day, the number one priority we would have had is to please and honor the Father. Kids would have rather died than not give their fathers honor. But how in the world can we, as sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ, mimic the Father? Look to Jesus. Jesus is the example here, Paul says. We are to pattern our lives after Christ. You know, his greatest delight was to do the will of the Father. Remember his words in John 14, 31. He was talking to his disciples as he was getting ready to go to the cross. And he said, I do as the Father has commanded me so that I will let the world know that I love the Father. He was willing to go to the cross to show the world that he loved the Father. Amazing, isn't it? And what a challenge it is to us. And as we know, Jesus said, in essence, love is, by definition, heartfelt obedience to his ways. This, Jesus says, is eternal life. This, Jesus says, is real life. He told us in John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so it begs the question, doesn't it? How do we really get to know God? 
We know it's not just agreeing to some facts up here, is it? It's not just emoting here and then crying every time that we hear something about God. That's not it at all. It may include some of those things at times. But certainly if we knew, certainly if God were to tell us, the Lord would tell us what it is to know God that we want, we would want it, right? We want to cling to this. Well, guess what? He tells us plainly how to do this. The Lord tells us in John 14, 23, how to know God. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him. And we will make our home with him. You want to know God? Have a heart that says, I love you, Lord. Keep his commandments. That's how we do this. In Christ was and is real life. Overflowing, abundant life. Not that it's going to be an easy life. And not that it is an easy life. Far from it. But notice what I said. It's life. For only life can be found in Christ. The light of the world. And so Christmas 2022. From eternity past, life was shining. Down through the centuries, predicted by the prophets, God proved faithful to his promise. Christ came right on time. He was born. He served us. He paid the price with his own blood for our sin. He laid down his life willingly. But it looked as though the light of the world was snuffed out on the cross when he placed him in the grave. But no. Hallelujah. It still shines brighter than ever. For now the Spirit has come. And we who are in Christ are able to live life as the Lord intended. Listen to Paul's absolute triumph in all of this. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. He said, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Right now, we're on an amazing road, experiencing as much of the glory of God as we can on this side of eternity. But wait till we get to the other side. This place won't hold a dimly lit candle compared to what we're going to see and experience there forever. Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Then an angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed for the Lamb, for the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. To God be the glory. Great things He's done. To God be the glory. Great things He continues. What an amazing God you are. You created all things, seen and unseen. You've created us, Lord, in your image, after your likeness. Your desire, Lord, was for us to live life with you. 
but Lord, you knew that that was going to be delayed for a while because, Lord, you knew that even before you created us that we were going to sin. And, Lord, to show your glory, to show your splendor, you were going to set a plan in place that when it was all said and done, even a greater glory was going to be shown because of the redemption found in Christ. And of your people who have come to you by grace through faith, we will be able to worship and serve you to forever out of gratitude for what you've done. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you. I praise you for who you are. I thank you for coming. I thank you for being the light of the world. I thank you for challenging us and for telling us, Lord, that if we follow you, we will not walk in darkness, but we will have the light of life. Help us, Lord, to live the life that you've called us to live, and it's possible to do that because the Spirit lives within us. So, Lord, help us to take these truths, seal them to our hearts, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, and, Lord, may we live these things out for your glory and for your honor. And now I pray, Father, as we turn our attention to a couple more acts of, of worship, our giving and our singing, I pray, Lord, that these will be reflective of our hearts, full of grace, full of gratitude, full of heartfelt love for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being the greatest gift we could ever receive. So, Lord, we praise you for these things in Jesus' name.